Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Eat a balanced diet. Eat healthy. Eat the rainbow. As months and months have passed while my husband and I are trying to conceive, I've often wondered if we're eating the right things to nourish our bodies and optimize our fertility. Is vegan better than a meat-based diet? What about intermittent fasting? Am I drinking too much coffee? There's so much vague and conflicting advice out there, I just wasn't sure who to listen to. And that's how I stumbled across Brooke Boscovich, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and founder of the Fertility Blueprint program. I became enraptured with Brooke's informative and simple to understand content. So I reached out to her and was absolutely thrilled when she said yes to giving me some time to explore the five pillars of fertility for this episode of Bumps Along the Way. Not only will we talk about an optimal diet for fertility, but we will also unpack exercise and movement, sleep quality, stress, and environmental toxins that you may not know you're being exposed to. Make sure you have a pen and paper handy for this episode. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Bumps Along the Way. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Nice. So yeah, I thought what we could do is just spend a little bit of time going through, you know, who you are, how you happened to get into the field of work that you're in, what it is that you do, and have a conversation around sort of the, yeah, the topics that you specialize in most notably, like fertility diets and your fertility blueprint program as well. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Brooke Boscovich and I am a traditionally trained dietitian, but I went on for more education in the functional medicine arena. So I really focus on you know, looking at the whole body and seeing, you know, what is, what barriers are coming up for, for, um, fertility challenges. Essentially, I specialize in fertility. Um, and I, I see a lot of gaps in, in kind of the Western medical model when it comes to supporting couples in, in trying to conceive. So, 
um, that's kind of what, what led me to learn more and more about fertility and more about functional medicine and definitely the approach that I, I take today. But what initially brought me down this path, even to begin with, is definitely my own health and fertility journey, um, which really started as a teenager as far as health complications went and just struggling to get answers. And, and part of that was not having access to providers that were really looking at me um, holistically and were, were only really treating my symptoms rather than trying to figure out what was actually going on. So once I actually did partner with somebody um, who, who took that more holistic kind of functional medicine approach, I started getting answers and connecting dots. And um, I ended up with a couple of diagnoses, included, including celiac disease and Hashimoto's. And I learned with the help of uh, certain providers that those conditions are so, so closely linked to what's happening with my cycle and my hormones and all the symptoms that were happening. Um, and that, that was when I was really 19. So I wasn't trying to conceive at that time by any means. Um, but it really opened my eyes to kind of barriers in, in our, in our kind of medical system, if you will, um, and wanting to help more people connect those dots much earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, in my training, I ended up, um, working with or shadowing, um, a, another dietitian that specialized in fertility. So that continued to spark my interest and open my eyes to just the impact of nutrition and lifestyle on fertility, um, mainly in women initially, all of that kind of led me to who I work with today, um, which are couples that are struggling to conceive. Um, I call it kind of the preconception period where we're really looking at both male and female fertility, seeing what barriers are getting in the way, diving much deeper than what is standard um, and looking at how your body is using nutrients, how your body is able to nourish egg quality, able to nourish sperm quality. We can definitely talk deeper about what types of barriers that I find with that that are really common, but that's really my approach. And I offer private coaching and group coaching. Um, so that's where my fertility blueprint program comes mm -hmm. in, trying to reach as many couples as possible to get, get all of this helpful information out there. Wow. Amazing. That's so interesting that you yourself identified gaps in your own discovery of your health and that inspired you to follow a different path in terms of what you wanted to specialize in and train in. What are some of the gaps that you typically see when people come to you when they're trying to conceive and they're searching for answers and they're maybe not finding them in, in what we call the traditional Western medicine? Yeah. Yeah. So some, some big ones are really just looking at lab work through a different lens. So a lot of like standard ranges are set based on averages of our population. And so mm -hmm. like overall, I mean, in the U S especially like our population is not the healthiest. So basing it on averages is not not the best. Right. And we're actually seeing that over the last 50 years that fertility rates have drastically declined in the world as a whole. And, and, 
Um, so looking at, at labs more through an optimal lens and um, tightening up some of those lab ranges in itself can really give us some answers and directions to go um, from there. But even if standard blood work is still looking pretty good, um, I find that there are barriers in the actual markers that are looking at. So what's going on with nutrient status? I mean, nutrient status is so, so important for how our body is creating energy. Fertility is such an energy intensive process. Like that basic piece of, of knowledge is really so important and can be a major barrier to how your body's able to nourish fertility. Like not only calories, but the actual nutrients, the vitamins and the minerals that we're getting from our food are literally what help us create energy at a cellular level in every cell in our body. And so if we don't have the bare minimum to support everyday life and all of our, you know, routine functions of supporting our brain and our heart and everyday activities that we don't even tend to think about, your fertility is losing out. Your egg quality is struggling. That whole DNA programming process that is so important for good egg quality and good sperm quality it's struggling. And you might see that in the form of taking longer to try to conceive. You might see it in recurrent loss. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are definitely major barriers that I look at. And on top of nutrient status, I'm looking at, okay, what's depleting those nutrients. Um, stress is a huge one. And no matter where stress is coming from, um, uncovering the stress barrier is huge. So it can be internal like inflammation, poor gut health, maybe blood sugar imbalance, thyroid imbalance, for instance, or external, just like relationship stress. Fertility is, it can be really stressful. Trying to conceive every month can be really stressful. It's something we need to consider um, and, and work on um, learning how to best support adapting to stress because we can't eliminate all of those stressors. Hopefully we can decrease some of those internal ones, but helping your body adapt to stress is a, a major barrier that I focus on um, with couples as well. If I strip that back to one of the first things you mentioned, you mentioned lab work and looking at blood test results in the form of the average population. Would I be right in saying that me as a 31-year-old female maybe need slightly different ranges than my partner, for example, being a male or people that are a different age. So you're really not just looking at blood test results in terms of the average, but you're really drilling it down into my specific goals, my age, my gender, and my really individual needs. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much. Yeah. Yeah. And we can look at like more generalized, like optimal ranges. So, so maybe like a woman, a female in her reproductive years, um, it should be ideally falling into a, a tighter range. So thyroid is a, mm. probably the easiest example. A TSH or a thyroid stimulating hormone standard range is, um, all the way up to four, where a more functional, more optimal range is actually keeping that TSH under a 2.5. Um, so that's a pretty big difference. And ideally, like the younger we are, like the closer to two or under two, it might be. Something that I do a lot on this podcast is I use myself as an example and a bit of a guinea pig. 
I'm curious to hear what you would think of this result. So my TSH level came back at 1.55. What would you think of that, for example? Yeah, I think that's a great place for that TSH to be sitting. Um, I would say that also looking at your T4 and your T3 thyroid hormones um, are helpful too, just for additional information. Um, So those can be out of range prior to TSH being out of range. So yes, definitely your TSH sounds great. Just making sure those other thyroid hormones are looking good too, um, mm-hmm. because we can run into barriers with energy creation even before TSH is out of range. Okay. So something else that you mentioned that you speak a lot with your clients about is nutrient status. For anybody who doesn't know, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. Yes. So um, I I love to start with testing whenever possible. Um, And the type of testing that I'm doing is or prefer to do for a nutrient status is going to be what's called an HTMA or a hair tissue mineral analysis test. So that's taking a sample of hair off your head. um, And that is going to tell you what's happening with mineral status specifically inside your cells over a three month period of time. No way. It's because of the time frame. Like when we take a blood test, it's literally a snapshot in time. What's happening in the blood right at that minute of the draw, right? So that is very variable based on what you've eaten in really the last 24-ish hours. Where the hair test is inside the cells where the majority of our nutrients should be to be used and to be able to create that energy. Um, So the hair, which is actually a tissue, can give us that information over about a 90-day period. So it's really telling as to how your body's been using nutrients, what it may be depleted in, um, and state of stress. We can see what's happening with metabolic rate through how how those minerals are being balanced and used. Um, and mineral balance in itself is so, so important um, because all minerals work together. And if there's, say, plenty of magnesium but not enough sodium mm-hmm. in our cells, neither one of those nutrients are going to be functioning efficiently to create the energy that we want them to create. So we need to bring them back into balance. Um, So lots, lots to learn from that type of hair testing. There are a few nutrients that we can look at in the blood under what's called a red blood cell marker. So it has to be a specific request to have like red, red blood cell magnesium versus just regular magnesium, which is outside the cell. Very little of our magnesiums outside the cell. Most often those tests are going to come back great, but if there's not enough inside the cell, that's what is actually creating that barrier to creating energy um, and and not supporting your body in, in how it is able to adapt to stress. So few things in the blood. Vitamins are a little easier to look at in the blood. So things like B vitamins, which include like your folate as well as vitamin D. Um, and, and those are definitely markers I look at in the blood and want to assess too. Um, but that HTMA or hair, hair tissue testing is really very insightful for overall nutrient status. Can I request this from a GP or would I really need to work with someone like you to get that type of test performed? 
You, you definitely want to work with somebody that is trained in, in analyzing those tests. And, and through your GP, like definitely request vitamin D, request what's happening with B12, B6, and folate. Like those are telling too. And, and B6, B12, and folate can all be done you know, just regular blood tests. You don't have to request red blood cell um, and vitamin D. Just make sure that you're getting the vitamin um, D3 specifically. Um, there's a few different markers there, but those are really, really important. Um, folate B12 and B6 specifically are involved in what's called the DNA programming of a follicle. So really heavily involved in chromosomal abnormalities and the quality of that egg. Um, so if you're not getting enough of those nutrients, um, something needs to change in diet and or supplementation. Um, and then vitamin D it really is more of like a hormone in our body and it is very, um, it impacts fertility in a variety of ways, but has a major impact on like signaling of hormones. Um, this might be a very rookie question, but vitamin D, we get that from the sun, right? We absolutely do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It varies. How much we're able to make from the sun varies a lot on season and where we are at in relation to the equators. Making sure that you don't have sunscreen on for 10, 15 minutes is actually the best way to make vitamin D from the sun. Um, but ideally, you know, there's an app, there's an app that can tell you based on the region that you're in best time of day and best time of year to, to be creating vitamin D through your through the sun and your skin. Um, it's called D like just the letter D dimer. So that's probably the best way to go about it based on your specific region. Um, if you're not able to get outside for long enough to make enough, like supplementation can be helpful. Um, and then, yeah, it's definitely harder to find in foods um, enough of anyways. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. You know, I live in the Northern Hemisphere now and I'm from Australia. So vitamin D was never something I had to think about coming from Sydney, Australia. And now it is. And I did start taking supplements when I moved here, especially around fall, winter, um, but I don't think I realized how much of a role it plays in fertility. That for me is already a huge learning. When um, our body is maturing follicles, so that's a, a follicle stimulating hormone or FSH mm. is one of the hormones that's involved with that. And then when it gets to a point where estrogen's high enough and that follicle stimulating um, hormone is at a certain point, LH or luteinizing hormone is released and vitamin D is involved in that whole communication in order for ovulation to happen and be successful. Um, it's, it's definitely involved before that in that whole maturation cycle of the follicle, which is really a 90 to hundred day period prior to ovulation happening. Um, so really, really important nutrient to make sure that you're getting enough of, um, it can actually make AMH or anti-malarian hormone look lower than it actually is too. So that hopefully tells you a little bit more about how important vitamin D is for, for follicle health as well. Definitely. And one of my other questions, so yeah, it's, it starts with investigation, right? It starts with the blood test, the, I think you, uh, called it HTMA test with your hair. So, 
people come to you, they have their results, you start investigating. And then what? Is that where you then start investigating things like diet and stresses? Or yeah, at what point are you kind of getting to the answers, I suppose, is my question. Yeah. 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 So along with like blood work and basically nutrient analysis or analysis of nutrient status, um, I'm asking a lot of questions about, you know, what their fertility journey has looked like. So have they experienced loss? How long have they been trying to conceive? Um, have they gone through IVF? You know, what stage, um, did barriers pop up or complications happen? Um, that gives me a lot of direction for like what to look at first anyways, um, as far as additional blood markers, um, which, which typically always include what I call a full thyroid panel. So thyroid is usually looked at at a very, on a very surface level. Um, in a conventional setting. So definitely diving into those other hormones like T3 and T4 and thyroid antibodies and making sure that thyroid is functioning um, as optimally as possible because it's such a major part of how we create energy. Blood sugar regulation and balance is huge. That's a major thing that can contribute to stress on the body. And I want to know if that's one of the barriers involved um, it, cause it, it definitely impacts what's happening with hormone signaling, egg maturation, ovulation quality, like all of those things. Blood sugar is huge, huge for really both men and women. Um, but definitely for women because of how it impacts our cycle and ovulation. I'm definitely asking about things like sleep quality mm. and products that are used because, other areas of stressors um, include toxic burden. So it can be environmental toxins, like based on where you live, based on the water you're drinking, the air you're breathing, for instance, but it can also be what we call endocrine disrupting chemicals. So things that are mimicking hormones like estrogen in our body um, and are literally toxins that our body has to try to get out, you know, detox essentially. And every part of our detox system is really nutrient intensive. So it's taking nutrients away from what could be supporting things like egg quality and sperm quality. Um, and we have a lot of research on certain endocrine disrupting chemicals, um, harming egg quality and sperm quality and definitely leading to like longer time to conception, mm. um, and, and longer time to like full-term baby as well. So a couple of major ones there are mm. going to be like your BPA. Um, so plastic, um, and even if things are BPA free, the thing, the other chemicals that are replacing BPA, we're finding that are, they're just as bad or worse even, so avoiding limiting plastic as much as possible, especially if it is um, for food storage or things you're drinking out of, um, mm. like a lot of paper cups, like when you're going out to get coffee or tea or lined with a plastic lining, plastic lid on top, for instance, that hot beverage inside it leaches that chemical inside the into the beverage. And 
I'm not saying this because everybody needs to be like terrified of, of these <laughs> things, but it, it, there's really a balance. And, and the more that we can decrease our exposure to those things while supporting our natural detox system can go a really long ways because it, these are like this whole toxic burden, um, piece is something that I find to be a pretty big barrier to, to fertility. And even I'll go as far as one of the big reasons while we're seeing fertility rates decreasing so drastically over the last 50 years on kind of a world level. And it's a little terrifying because we're learning more and more about these chemicals and really the impact on our health. And it's not good. It's really not good. So evaluating personal care products and cleaning products. And what specifically could we be looking out for? BPA is one of those fragrance, artificial fragrances are another major one. Um, A lot of chemicals that make up a lot of artificial fragrances and harmful. We know that they're definitely harmful for fertility in a variety of ways. Okay. Um, So would an example be scented moisturizers, scented candles, perfumes, fabric sprays. Is that what you mean by all of it? All the things I have in my home. (laughs) It is. And it's hard. It's hard to get away, away from, um, and certain countries have like much stricter regulations on fragrance and what they allow inside of it. But if you're seeing like the word fragrance on a label and they're not specifying where that fragrance is coming from, it's most likely chemical makeup and it's proprietary. So they don't have to disclose it using things that are, um, more like essential oil based for fragrance or like really like actual natural fragrance. And if it just says natural fragrance, like don't take their word for it, read the ingredients, learn what the ingredients actually are. Um, because it might not be natural quote unquote, um, because that doesn't typically mean anything, um, on labels. It is indeed. It's such a minefield. You walking into the supermarket or the drugstore or whatever it is and picking up an organic, uh, naturally fragranced product. But a lot of the time, yeah, we don't know what chemicals to look for. We don't know what everything means on the label. And it is such information, uh, important information to get out there. Um, You know, one of my friends, she texted me and she said, send me a photo of the shampoo you use. So I sent her a photo. She said, throw it away. I said, how do you know that? <laughs> and she'd been on this fertility journey a lot longer than me. Um, she was talking about things like sulfates, um, a whole bunch of different chemicals that I had no idea about. I mean, are there other real examples that you can think of off the top of your head of what we should kind of look for on these labels and try and avoid aside from BPAs and fragrances? Yeah. 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 So kind of under the fragrance umbrella, you're looking for like paraben free, um, phthalate free, phytate free. Um, and that's a, that's a big start. Like if, if you can definitely fragrance free is helpful too. um, um, BPA definitely. And just trying to limit plastic altogether, Mm -hmm. especially if it's in contact with hot things or acidic things. So we've probably all experienced storing something tomato based in a plastic container and then it turns orange and it's never the same again. That's probably the most obvious example of that plastic breaking down and leaching into your food, unfortunately. And so if we're running that through the dishwasher, real hot wash, then we're storing food in it again, 
toss it, get rid of it, use glass. Um, that's definitely, I'm looking at my husband right now. (laughs) This has happened to us all the time. Yeah. 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 You're not alone. I mean, we've all, all done it and it's all about learning. Right. And it is definitely not like, okay, that happened one time or I'm going to go out and get a coffee and it's going to have a plastic lid on it. That, that one time, one exposure is not what's going to be detrimental to your fertility. Mm -hmm. It's a continued exposure. It's what you're using every day with your products. Um, um, so I, I definitely want to be really clear about that because it's a really, really overwhelming topic when we talk about toxins and trying to low tox your life, which I like to talk about. It's not going to be toxin free. So let that go. It will not be toxin free. It's pretty much impossible unless you're living off the grid on your own land, all your own food being created. Like it's, it's impossible. It's a world we live in, but we can do a lot to reduce our exposure and a lot to support that natural detox process. Um, and both, both the male and female partners should be involved in this because it impacts both sides, both 50% of the DNA on the male side, 50% of the DNA on the female side. Um, and, and makes a big deal as far as, um, conception goes. So, yeah, I think th- those are probably the biggest ones to start with as far as fragrance, BPA, parabens, phthalates, phytates, um, and you're definitely cleaning up a lot with that. Mm. Low tox. I love that. I'm going <laughs> to, that's a key takeaway for me. Sometimes I genuinely think like, should I start a vegetable patch and should I start growing all of my own foods, but who has time for that? And you're right. It is really overwhelming for people who are making a conscious effort to eliminate toxins and be healthier. And that's such a great concept to hold on to is just low tox. We don't have to fully detox, but let's low tox. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't want it to become more stressful, right? And add no. to that nutrient depletion and the stress response. Like that's not helpful either. And that's no. that's kind of how I address nutrition as a whole too. Like it does not have to be perfect. It is okay. You have a donut. That's fine. Like it's not going to disrupt what you're working on, but also like really work on getting these other nutrients in that are going to be really nourishing and, and support mm-hmm. your fertility. Yeah. That's probably a good segue into one of the topics that I really wanted to discuss today, which is diet, because something that I find, and you probably get asked this a lot, is there's a lot of information out there and it can be really overwhelming. And you read a lot of different papers or I don't know, blog posts around a balanced diet, a healthy diet. Um, And sometimes that feels quite vague In your, I guess, opinion, and if you narrow this down into this specific topic of women trying to conceive, what does an optimal diet look like to you? Number one, it's eating enough. And sometimes that's surprising and and kind of vague in itself. I know, I know that, but it's, it's such a huge piece because if we are under eating as a whole, we're definitely not reaching nutrient needs or energy needs to support that really intensive process of, of creating enough energy for fertility. Um, but also like under eating protein, under eating carbs, under eating fat, like individually. So maybe you're eating enough calories per se in general, but you're really under eating carbs. 
that is a, a no-go for female fertility. Um, it's a huge red flag because eating enough carbohydrate is a signal that your body is not safe enough essentially, or it doesn't have a safe enough environment in order to support fertility because it's the easiest way for our body and our cells essentially to create really quick, easy energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, we create, we can learn to create energy from fat, but it's not as efficient. And it's also another like stress on our metabolic health and process. So how to think about whether you're eating enough for fertility in general is, is first making sure that you're eating within about an hour of waking. So starting your day out with a solid breakfast that is going to have like 20 to 30 grams of protein in it a good carb source, which could be fruit. It could be starchy veggie. It could be a grain even. Um, um, and then, you know, fat, uh, a good fat in there too. So something like, you know, maybe three eggs that are scrambled, maybe some veggies that are sauteed in there, um, with butter and, um, a cup of berries or some, some of your favorite fruit, um, that are going to be on the side. And that's like a really good breakfast to start your day with making okay, sure so you're no yeah. intermittent fasting then. <laughs> no, huge. <laughs> Huge no um, for female fertility, for sure. I mean, most of the research on intermittent fasting um, that has been shown as really beneficial is in women of like post-reproductive age or men. Um, And women of reproductive age are not small men. We're very, very different. And we see definitely... When we're waiting too long to eat in the morning after a nighttime fast, we see a cortisol response that's really high, which is a stress hormone. We don't want to live off of cortisol. We want to live off of food when we're trying to conceive. Um, and that that is a huge signal of safety to the body. Like food consistently is so, so important. Mm. Um, go ahead. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts quickly on coffee? Yeah. Um, (laughs) it's nuanced. Um, so some caffeine can be fine and supportive, but if you're feeling symptoms from it, if you're feeling jittery, if you have a lot of stress going on anyways, like it's probably contributing to that stress response as well. If you need it to really be awake and have energy, cut back, think about your food intake. Um, it's, it's again, better to live off of food rather than cortisol, which, which that caffeine is kind of kicking up. It's helping you, you know, feel that energy from a stress response initially. Um, coffee, never before food, always either with food or after food. Um, if, if you are drinking it Mm -hmm. and if you are drinking it, like try to limit it to like two cups of coffee a day in the morning because it can interfere with sleep as well. Okay. That's clear. And you were mentioning something else. So, okay, we talked about breakfast being extremely important, making sure you're getting, you know, carbs, fat, protein. Um, and then what? Yeah. So then eating consistently throughout the day there, like if we're waiting too long to eat, like your cortisol response is going to kick in there. Um, so, so cortisol just to make that a little more clear, it's a stress hormone, but it's also a really important way that our body manages blood sugar. Um, so if we are, our blood sugar is dropping too low, cortisol increases in order to 
unpackage stored blood sugar essentially from our muscles and our liver because we need steady blood sugar to survive. So your body is going to kick that in, but it's a stressor. That whole response is a stressor. So you want to be eating before that is happening essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I say generally like within about four hours for most women. Mm, okay. um, so yeah, it could be, you know, meal, snack, meal, snack. It could be meal, meal, snack, meal, like whatever it looks like for your timeline. It doesn't really matter, but eating something that is going to include protein and or fat and a carb carb should always be with friends, but make sure you're including them because they are a key, a key for safety. And that is really what we're trying to teach the body at every step of all of the nutrition and lifestyle stages that we're going. Are some carbs, I guess, better than others? Like my mind is going pasta. (laughs) That's a carb, but are there, I can imagine there are some, maybe some carbs that are more healthy or more optimal than others. Yeah. So I always like to talk about like, what is going to give you the most nutrients? What's the most nutrient dense? So pasta is certainly not off limits. Like there's a lot of nutrients that we're going to get from pasta, but we might be able to get even more, um, from like sweet potatoes and really all types of potatoes because they're really, really mineral rich and things like potassium and magnesium are so important for that energy creation and things like quinoa, um, also have a a larger nutrient profile than say, just like a, a white, a white pasta, essentially Mm. like a whole wheat pasta is going to have more nutrients because it's including that bran in it too. It's going to have a little more fiber in it, which is supportive of gut health too. So like our more like refined carbs, our white carbs um, are definitely not off limits. They're still going to give you energy, still going to give you nutrients, but thinking about where you can boost nutrients even more. So maybe you're going to include like, um, I don't know, salmon with that pasta. Awesome. Great idea. And then some a lot of color, maybe dark leafy greens, maybe like a beet salad or something like that. Great. Like that is awesome. Um, kind of to get all of those antioxidants in there, which are coming from that colorful produce, um, lots of good fat from that salmon, lots of, lots of nutrients from a fatty fish like salmon, um, or even, uh, other proteins we could talk about, you know, lamb or beef or, um, poultry, dark, dark meat poultry is going to have more nutrients than white meat poultry. Um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat a chicken breast, but it, when we're weighing, um, where to get nutrients from like that darker meat is definitely going to have more value in the nutrient department. Okay. So you're definitely not advising the vegan vegetarian route for fertility and trying to conceive. I am not. No. And plants are so important. Should be huge, huge part of the diet, but it is really hard to get the fertility nutrients that we need at the levels that we need them mm-hmm. with a vegan diet. Um, vegetarian, like if you're eating eggs and dairy and including seafood, yeah, you can you can totally reach that. Um, um, but you're going to have probably, I mean, I've worked with vegetarians in the past and you're probably going to be increasing eggs, dairy, and seafood quite a bit from your standard, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Like those are awesome sources of protein and nutrients too. Um, but 
I mean, if we look at mother nature is really, really smart and how she packages up nutrients together. It's, it's amazing because it's like this perfect package to support fertility in so many ways. And we find that again and again in all, all sorts of animal proteins, um, just being basically these fertility nutrient powerhouses, Mm -hmm. um, that are really hard to get in, in, um, plant proteins alone. That's so interesting that you say that I read somewhere, or maybe I saw some content on social media around everything we need, the environment is providing for us. And I love to keep that in my mind. Has this come from nature when I'm eating? I like to think about that a lot. I love that. Yeah, I really do. And, and I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the like vegan proteins are processed in a lab. They're grains that are mashed together. And it's like, think about the oils and the additives that are being added to that. And I know you can have a vegan diet without that too, but again, like going to be pretty low in protein. And then we take it another step further and talk about blood sugar again. Those diets are really high in carbohydrates. And even though carbohydrates are really important, blood sugar balances too. And it's hard to get without good quality protein. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We've discussed the positives. What are some of the big no-nos in your opinion? Seed oils is probably one of the biggest. Try to avoid as much as possible. So processed seed and vegetable oils are going to be things like um, canola oil, corn oil, your soybean oils, grapeseed oil, cottonseed oil. Like those are mm. those are some of the major ones. Um, so not olive oil. Olive oil is great. Yep, olive okay. oil is definitely one. Yeah, that that is. Um, anti-inflammatory. Um, definitely, I mean, all oils are essentially man-made, but things like canola oil are way further from nature um, than we want to be and very inflammatory, like very, very inflammatory. Um, so fats to focus on are definitely going to be your olive oil, your avocado oils, um, coconut oils, even, um, your butter is a great one. Um, tallow and lard, like also good, very much from nature. Um, and I feel like you- butter's been kind of victimized over the years, hasn't it? But I remember my grandma used to cook steak in butter and that was deemed healthy once upon a time. For sure. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely been demonized. Um, I think mainly because of the saturated fat content, but the more and more we learn about like our metabolic system, like at a very like biological level, um, definitely important to have saturated fat. And when we talk about it in relation to fertility, like saturated fat is giving the backbone that we need to create estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. Um, those are pretty important for both male and female fertility. So if we're not getting enough of it, we definitely struggle with hormones, um, as a whole for sure. So seed and vegetable oils are a big kind of limit as much as possible. And again, like I don't fertility eating for fertility should never be 
super stressful. And so if it is for you, if you're at that place, like finding support to pull back and make sure that you can include those fertility supportive things in a very balanced way that you can still enjoy food and enjoy your life is really, really important. Um, yeah, but other than that, I mean, alcohol even is one that I, I, talk about in a nuanced state. Like not everybody has to completely avoid it. It's going to depend on like your overall stress state and toxic load. It can be great to cut out for a period of time. And if you are actively trying to conceive, I do recommend avoiding it after ovulation at least. Mm. Um, because that, that is, you know, just a stage that we don't know enough about and, and we don't want to have it at all if, if we are pregnant. So that one, and then, I mean, drugs, marijuana, tobacco are big nose. Sugar. (laughs) Yeah. So I am, I'm not one to say that it's off limits. Um, there's sugars that can give you a little bit of nutrients too. So I like those to be relied on more at least. So things like pure maple syrup and honey, local honeys are actually giving you some nutrients too in them. Yes. There's still sugar. Our, our body's still going to respond to them like sugar. Um, but they're a carb, which is something our body really yeah. likes also. <laughs> um, and if we're, safe. Yeah. And if we're eating it in balance, then yeah, it's totally fine. Totally fine. Obviously we don't want it to make up the majority of our diet and we need to be mindful of our cravings because if we're craving a lot of sugar, we're not eating enough car- like whole food carb. We're not eating enough protein. Like take that step back. If you're, you know, craving cake and ice cream every night, you didn't eat enough during the day. I mean, I pretty, feel pretty confident about saying that. So it's okay to have it in moderation. Think about the balance. Okay. Nice. Book, something that I love about um, you since I sort of started following you on Instagram is the content that you share um, and how much sort of energy and dedication you put to getting information out there, um, which is something that I just wanted to say I'm so grateful for. And I just wanted anybody who's listening this to to know that if you do follow book on Instagram at The Fertility Dietitian, there's so much valuable content on there. No, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. It's definitely, I love providing the education um, and Instagram is definitely a great, great platform to be able to do that. Yeah. If there was, I guess, one top piece of parting advice that you would leave anybody who is struggling with this trying to conceive journey, what would that be? Don't be afraid to both advocate for yourself and add to your support team. Um, I think those things are so, so important because you know your body best. And if you're questioning your care or how your provider is listening to you or willing to order any certain testing or even just interpret it, it's it's okay to seek a second opinion or seek additional support. Our our doctors and our providers are very important. They're very helpful in giving us um, certain types of information and it's okay to, you know, get additional support and it can really make a huge difference on, on your journey and how you're able to learn how to work with your body um, in order to support your fertility in a different way. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. 
Is there anything else that you particularly want to share? If you're interested in learning more, definitely come follow me at the.fertility.dietitian. Come say hi. Um, I have a website. It's the fertilitydietitian.health. You can check out blog posts there. I have a digital store there as well. And I'm always happy to chat with you about working together if you are interested in that as well. Yeah, definitely. I would highly recommend following Brooke. I I love your content, as I mentioned. It's so extremely helpful. And I will definitely be continuing to follow along on your content and your blog because it's so fascinating to me. And as you mentioned, this is an area that can be really overwhelming. So, you know, having someone like yourself just putting simple and easy to understand content out there is so beneficial. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you, Brooke. I honestly asked everything that I wanted to, all the things that I was just so genuinely curious about and makes me think that other women out there would be genuinely curious about these things as well. So hopefully this falls into the ears of anyone that needs to hear it. It's 